nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light 'em up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is、uh, Tuesday, December the twenty seventh, two thousand and eleven. Oh, Christmas is over. Tiny Tim time. Yep, I survived. I hope that you did the same. I had a ferocious attack of nostalgia this year. I found myself soaked in Charles Dickens. <laughs> Never mind. Christmas to me is not just the night of the mother; it's my mom and everything that went with it. The past, déjà vu, all over again. Right? I watched、uh, our national grandmother in chief. You know, Michelle. Uh, Michelle's mother, Marion Robinson, remember her? She had a little a little cap on. Yes, me and my cap. Yes, what's that song? Anyway, she she had this little wool cap, and they were lighting the Christmas tree out in front of the. I don't know where it is over there by the White House somewhere. Apparently, the old tree had to had to go. It was. Uh, knocked over or something. Anyway, they've got a new tree, very small. It said, but it will grow. They assured us it would grow, and、um, they lit the tree. You know,、um, Michelle and the daughters and the、uh, grandmother in chief. That's what Barack Obama calls her.、Uh, oh, see, Malia, the oldest daughter. She's getting tall. She's tall as her mom. Oh golly, teenage. Angst. I have no doubt the younger daughter Sasha. She's still smiling like like a happy child that won't last much longer. Anyway, the grandmother in chief is my age. That means well, seventy something. She she looks tense, folks. Um,、uh, she looks wary and uh, uh, well. <laughs> She smiles a lot.、Uh, she sings along with the rest of the gang. I wonder why she looks so.、Uh, well, let let's just say、uh, she. <laughs> no, I can't say it. It's too frightening.、Uh, I just wonder what her life is like day by day with those granddaughters to keep in line. You know, those kids must be under a lot of pressure. Where the hell's their dog? By the way, I haven't seen that dog romping on the lawn. Maybe I don't watch enough TV.、Uh, anyway, never mind about that. I think I'll send Marion Robinson some of my movie reviews. That's what I'll do. I'll ask her what movies she sits down to watch with her 
grandchildren and with uh, Barack, if he ever has time for that, or with her daughter, Michelle. Uh, interesting to think about that sort of thing. I can kind of imagine that the uh, the domestic scene is, well, I, I imagine it's a, a little bit more structured than most of us are used to. <laughs> I couldn't help thinking, you know, that, well, I, I watched Michelle reading the night before Christmas to the whole uh, the whole audience on the lawn, and it, uh, well, I don't know, it just struck me as, I don't, I don't want to say that it was sad, it just, it just seemed to me so, what is it, so, so grim, so, so terribly sad in the sense that, well, it's like the Dickens, the Dickens story, uh, Little Dorrit. You know, I, I watched most of the 1988 version of Little Dorrit, and I thought, uh, it's, it's a story about financial scandals and about, let's call it, the moral failures of an entire culture. <laughs> Apparently, it was the same. Back in the 19th century, these financial scandals and Ponzi schemes and fraud and deceit and even, uh, you know, even suicides from shame and disgrace. And it seems so strange to have these pretty facades, you know, on the television when, of course, <laughs> we're facing, well, we're we're in this abyss, this horror of, never mind, um, I was thinking the other day about the oldest son of the biggest crook of our time. Yes, he killed himself, and I was listening. Yeah, well, his mom, yes, declaring herself to be unaware of what was... Never mind, never mind. It's more than I can handle, this this business of knowing that human nature is a constant. Nothing, folks, ever changes, really. I know most people think that uh, there was less money to lose in the old days or less people to suffer in the old days. I don't think so. I think that um, the Dickens books like, uh, well, I didn't understand Dickens books, the ones like Hard Times and Bleak House. I had to be a little older before I got those. But books like, oh, you know, David Copperfield and Little Dorrit, the ones where people have to make a life in a debtor's prison, that stuff got to me when I was an adolescent, and I wept over those uh, humiliations, yes. Uh, I always have thought that the first job of an artist is to uh, illustrate what happens to people when they are humiliated. This is life's, uh, life's worst pain. There are so many things, you know, worse than disease and death, and... Humiliation would be my number one, <laughs> number one on my list. Uh, that's what I learned from Charlie Dickens, who was, of course, himself quite a hypocrite, quite an old Victorian hypocrite. I gave up about midnight, I think, uh, um, midweek, and I checked out my favorite Christmas movie would be um, Engmar Bergman's Fanny and Alexander, just the opening scenes. That's that most terrific Scandinavian Christmas. That's the one I liked. That was the one where, in spite of all the human failings, everybody really does have a wonderful time. And, uh, you know, the, the old woman there, the grandmother figure, uh, 
She enjoys having a good weep. You know, she gets a little uh, drunk and uh, kisses her old lover and that kind of thing. And I think that would be my pick for the ideal Christmas. The ideal Christmas. The opening scenes of Fanny and Alexander. Charlie Dickens is another story. Uh, hmm, I think what I'd like to do today, I meant to talk about... Um, the Oscars, and then I decided that I wasn't really sure uh, that it was worth talking about or that we should care about them. I've come down to basically two pictures, and I watched them again, and I made an Oscars list because that's what everybody's doing on all the other radio stations. And the only pictures I liked well enough to put on my list, and it wasn't because I liked them, um, I, what is it, I hooked into them, and they still bother me, and they seem to me to be worth the time and effort to really, really deconstruct and shred, and that would be Woody Allen's not-so-effete literary effort, you know, uh, Midnight in Paris. Oh, he's so clever. He thinks he is. Anyway, uh, Midnight in Paris, Woody Allen, and then the other one is the movie Help, which I think... I think I picked it not just because of the terrific performances, which is what that movie's all about, uh, but because we have not had a successful movie about uh, black women in the 1960s. It's about women who worked in uh, families, uh, for families in the South back in the 1960s. And uh, I've talked a little bit about it. I think um, we'll have to read a little bit more of the book. I have a couple of issues because, of course, translating the book into the film caused some glitches, and I think the filmmakers panicked at the last minute. Uh, but I still think it's probably the best choice for the Oscar, just because it's the movie that had the most courage tackled the biggest issue. Whether or not they succeeded is another another issue, but... As some some famous person once said, let your reach exceed your grasp. Yes, let us reach for stuff. And if we if we fail, well, you know, so what? Uh, I think the main thing is to give it a try. Uh, I'm going to start today. Let's see. She said, I want to look at Woody Allen first because I I see Woody Allen as coming to the end of his creative uh, arc. Is that what he gets, an arc? Uh, I think what's curious is that he did the most experimenting early on, or anyway, mid-career, uh, in movies, you know, movies like my pick would be Stardust Memories. Uh, I think that this recent one, Midnight in Paris, he's just flexing his old muscles. We knew all this stuff. He's just being... Just being the cleverest guy on the planet and name-dropping all over the place. I kept thinking, isn't there somebody he forgot to put in the movie? <laughs> yes. Uh, ah, ah, Juna Barnes. Yes, he put Juna Barnes in just so he could make a crack about lesbians. Yes, uh, he said, oh, that's why she tried to lead. Yes, when he's supposed to have been dancing with Juna Barnes. That that was the one that irked me a little bit. Uh he didn't bother to uh, to make any cracks about Gertrude Stein. That was because Kathy Bates 
played Gertrude Stein, and I think she, well, the part isn't big enough for a supporting actress award. She ought to get some special award for doing this, uh, what do you call it, ten, ten minutes of uh, reanimating Gertrude Stein. Uh, I'm not sure. I think some of us got very upset with Woody Allen when his personal life took that incredible turn. You know, he lurched into... Oh, 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 silly scandals, but leaving that behind, if it's possible to do that, I, I think it's perfect. You know, he proved himself to be a good Hebrew patriarch, right? But I think what's interesting about Woody Allen is whether or not he got to the, what is it, the top of the mountain, his his efforts. He kept saying years ago that he wanted to make a film, oh, about the Holocaust, and he didn't quite manage it. Uh, I just don't know. It's funny. Uh, I think maybe he has done what he does best here. He has made a movie that was utterly charming. And no one will have objections to it. It's just that I I just wondered, you know, uh, I, I thought I'd seen, let me put it this way. I thought I'd seen the trailer. <laughs> the movie never got started, but never mind. Let me just read a snatch of the essay in which I tried to pin down Woody Allen years ago. It begins with uh, long, long, uh, long, tiresome thoughts about uh, comedians and sadomasochists and uh, how they fuel their art. <laughs> yes, the, the scene in in Midnight in Paris that that uh, perfectly perfectly expresses uh, the sadomasochistic streak in our Woody Allen is when he approaches a lineup of uh, uh, prostitutes and he says to his beautiful young companion, a woman with whom he has fallen in love. This is the central character in the movie who stands in for Woody Allen. And she says, do you see anything you like? And he said, oh, he likes them all and that that proves he's shallow. And uh, uh, she goes on to say that uh, she and one of her roommates in school had uh, invited one of the prostitutes uh, back to the back to their place and uh, had persuaded them to show the uh, innocent girls all their tricks and uh, <laughs> the character is delighted with this stuff. Uh, it's very interesting what Woody Allen thinks is sophisticated. Uh, you're going to have to work that one out for yourself. Uh, let's see. The critics, back in 1977, they picked Annie Hall as uh, the Academy Award winning picture. And maybe it is the quintessential Woody Allen picture. Uh I'm not sure. When those extraterrestrials descend to Earth in Woody Allen's movie Stardust Memories, their message to him is that if he wants to do something to help mankind, well, he should tell funnier jokes. <laughs> Human comedy is more profound than tragedy. Ah, oh, life is a tragedy for those who feel and a comedy for those who think it's 
You know how it is. Uh, in tragedies, we die. And that's very sad. In comedy, we avoid death, and that's even sadder. I don't know why the critics didn't uh, like Stardust Memories. Uh, I think that that movie, um, the one in which Woody Allen went off the deep end, is his contribution to American culture. But what do I know? Uh, <laughs> it's Annie Hall that was sentimental and charming. And I guess what it said, what it gave us, is this notion, you remember, that inadequate relationships are better than no relationships. I think that after Annie Hall, the three pictures that uh, Alan made, those were the ones, yes, that I liked best. Interiors, Stardust Memories, and Manhattan. Those are the three biggies, the triumphant, yes. Uh, Stardust Memories, uh, like his latest, Midnight in Paris, is all about the past. It uses the language of images, you know. Uh, all those images, uh, they, they're they familiar to those of us who've been going to the movies for half a century. <laughs> you know, T.S. Eliot once said that poor poets borrow and great poets steal. Uh, in this movie, in, in the new movie, Midnight in Paris, uh, we see the central character hopping in a car at midnight. He goes into the past. You know, the bell rings and... Uh, chimes at midnight and off he goes into the past. At one point, he opens the door of the car and inside is Thomas Stearns Elliot, his own self. And uh, Woody Allen can't resist making a joke. Uh, he says to T.S. Elliot, well, first he says, you know, proof rock is his mantra and all that stuff. And then he says that where he comes from, uh, all the people say uh, that they have measured out their life in Coke spoons. Okay, that's a nod to English majors who may, uh, who may remember that back in the day, T.S. Eliot wrote a very famous poem in which he said he had measured out his life in coffee spoons. And I know that Woody Allen just had to get that line in there somewhere, even if he didn't show you an actor pretending to be T.S. Eliot, which he didn't. Uh, this, this movie took name dropping to the point of absurdity. Yes, got to get one more big important person in there. Uh, Anyway, uh, in Stardust Memories, there's a real homage. Uh, it's, of course, to uh, uh, Federico Fellini and Engmar Bergman. Uh, seamless, seamless. I wonder, I wish I knew what Fellini and Bergman um, could say about... Uh, all that existential anguish, their perceptions of women, these three directors, I just would like to line up their mothers and say, do you really hate these boys, you know? I don't know. I see Angmar Bergman in his little cap and Fellini in his cape and Woody Allen with no props at all, only his tragicomic self. He's an actor in search of an author. Uh, I don't know. 
Memoir, I guess, uh, is what all art is. Uh, he does it in Stardust Memories in the murky manner of the early, early Ingmar Bergman films. Uh, it's full of childhood ghosts, haunted seacoast villages, right? Okay. In Stardust Memories, we're at a film festival, and there is a central character, uh, uh, Woody Allen, as a matter of fact, this time it's actually uh, our boy himself plays a character called Sandy Bates, and he's suffering from what he calls Ozomandias Melancholia. Now, that is a much better name for, <laughs> for this symptom. In Midnight in Paris, that symptom is described as uh, golden age thinking. Golden age thinking is the kind of thinking that imagines that other eras and times in history were more fun. It was more fun in the old days, or I was, you know, being younger, you know. In uh, Midnight in Paris, each of the characters, well, several of the characters find their way into other historical periods, the beautiful young woman that uh, the central character meets in the 1920s era. She's in love with La Belle, La Belle Epoque, the 1890s with Toulouse-Lautrec. And um, uh, who else was there? Gauguin, all those wonderful 1890s folks. So she goes back into that period. She thinks of that as the uh, romantic, ideal place. She wants to go to Maxime's when it was really fun. Uh, in any case, this is all about the nature of illusion or delusion. Uh, I'm not quite sure... Uh, Every time I sit down and watch some of the old, what is that, uh, the films that are full of the the filmmakers' memories, movies like Amar Cord from Fellini and Cries and Whispers from Ingmar Bergman, uh, these guys seem to be looking for visions of, what you call it, the perfect moment, beautiful moments coming out of the past, you know, a glimpse of the infinite. Uh, let's see, Fellini's Peacock in the Snow in Amarcord, and uh, that servant, Anna, at the end of Cries and Whispers when she's reading the diary of the dead character, Agnes, you know, uh, when Agnes is recollecting one day of perfect happiness when she was uh, with her two sisters, uh, Woody Allen sees his lovely first wife, I guess that would have been Louise Lasser in real life, one moment, you know, when she'd taken her lithium like a good girl and she was beautiful and happy. Uh, yes, but then, right, that truest love forgot to take her lithium and now she's lost and she's gone mad. Uh, anyway, let's see. The visual complexity of all these pictures... Uh, I think I think we have to sit down and compare notes about every decade and see how far we've gone. I think that Manhattan is definitely still the black and white picture. Uh, 
to beat. There's a movie out called The Artist, all about how the movies got started in black and white. And it's nothing near as good as Manhattan. Uh, it has an opulent Fifth Avenue feeling of heartbreak in the big city. I think Woody Allen does a much better job on New York. I think, um, I'm not sure what he's trying to do with Paris, but his Paris to me, I don't know, it, it looks adolescent. I don't know why. Maybe that was his intention. Uh, uh, anyway, I think that Stardust Memories is in part a homage movie, but I think Interiors is the real tribute to Ingmar Bergman. That's the meditation on American, what would you call it, mindset, the life of the mind, the nature of human attachments here in the U.S. of A. Uh, he doesn't try, Woody Allen doesn't even try to do that in uh, Midnight in Paris. The American characters uh, are not just shallow. <laughs> what is it? The depth of their shallowness is yet to be measured anyway. Uh we do see their, um, what is it, their anguish, but um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think, I think Woody Allen has done what the aliens told him to do. He has decided to make movies where uh, the main thing is the jokes. I, I don't know. In the old movies, the ones I loved... I saw a red herring or two at the bottom of these seas of sorrow, but now I think he has lapsed into being simply clever. The character, the uh, satire on Hemingway is hilarious. I have to admit, I doubled over with laughter, and then I decided that actually Hemingway had a point. Yes, Hemingway was charming. The whole idea of the picture, of course is that uh, things that seem, uh, what is it, uh, vulgar and ordinary, if you let them soak for a couple of decades, they can become romantic and charming. You know, uh, I've noticed that. There are uh, huge chunks of my early life that now seem to me fit subject for a terrific novel. At the time, they were just a headache, uh, the suicide attempts, for example, <laughs> the one that Geraldine Page staged in Interiors. You remember when she uh, uh, she she runs out of masking tape. She's trying to fix the room so she can gas herself to death, and she runs out of the right color, so she can't do it. In this new picture, we see Zelda trying to get a running start when she's going to go jump in the sand. And it doesn't quite work. She just keeps she just keeps bouncing back and forth. <laughs> and then uh, uh, the Woody Allen character and his new girlfriend have to go and convince her that F. Scott Fitzgerald really loves her in spite of everything. Uh, they promise her that that will be the uh, accomplished the accomplished end of things. You know that she will be his uh, great love. Anyway, I'm not sure that the void is evident in this picture. I think that, yes, I think that, uh, I would actually, I would give, I would give Woody Allen's last, last, last moment to a picture 
called uh, A Midsummer Night Sex Comedy. That's the one in which there really is a gossamer touch, something really light and lovely. Uh, a Midsummer Night Sex Comedy. That one gives us the message uh, the lost simplicity of William Shakespeare. We are such stuff as dreams are made on, and our little life is rounded with a sleep. Uh, this has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air next Tuesday at this same time. Till then, go see lots of movies and tell me which movie should win this year's Oscar. Uh, until then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Every Friday, happy endings are the rules. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. Drop the shadow. When you think of the hard knock, you think of that. Station of resistance. One of the most phenomenal beats of all time. Good information and great radio. News, views, and hip-hop. What? Do it the way you feel it. Hard knock. Hard knock. Hard knock. Hard knock. Radio. Monday through Friday. And it's from 4 to 5 p.m. knocking hard in your area. 94.1 KPFA. Only revolution is our evolution. <sighs> So good. This is KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is now 3.30. Please stay tuned for free speech radio news.